0: Thank you for listening to an audio resource from Stanwich Church, located in Greenwich and Stamford, Connecticut. The vision of Stanwich Church is to know Christ and make him known.
1: The Old Testament lesson for today is from Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 12. This can be found on page 474 of your pew Bible. With the walls of Jerusalem securely in place, the Israelites gathered for a reading of the law of Moses, which had not been heard in an entire generation. The word of God brought correction of sin and a renewal of the covenant that God had made with them. A reading from Nehemiah chapter eight, beginning with the first verse. in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maasiah on his right hand, and Pediah, Mishael, Malchijah, Hashem, Hashbadana. Zechariah and Meshalem on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shebathai, Hodiah, Maasiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Paliah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, And the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word.
0: 20% of people who were polled here in the United States this year believe that the Bible is literally the word of God. 20% according to the Pew Research Council. It's a pretty steep decline, actually. Even from four years ago, the last time they conducted the survey, it was 24% only four years ago. 20% right now believe that the Bible is literally the word of God. We're on a steep decline of people who believe that. Just out of curiosity, I looked up what the Pew Research said. People responded, one generation ago, the year I was born, I'm 44 years old. So 44 years ago, that same question was asked. And at that time, it was double the amount that it is now. Over 40% of Americans believe that the Bible is literally the Word of God. So it seems that as a nation, as a community, we are really walking away from belief that this is God's word. There's varying opinions out there. If you read the research of what people actually believe it is, it's just fables. Some believe, some believe that God had something to do with it. But right now, only 20% believe that this is literally the word of God. So my question for you is, what are you doing here? Do you realize that you are moving against the trend of our culture? Because this is really what our entire ministry is built upon. It's the word of God. For the next 20 minutes or so, we're just going to be feasting upon this word. What is it that we believe about this word that apparently many people in our nation no longer believe? Well, we're going to see in Nehemiah chapter 8 that the word of God provides what our souls need most and what our souls long for. The word of God provides both what we need and what we want. So let's go to Nehemiah chapter 8 to find out how that works and what those things are that our souls both need and want. Nehemiah chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. You have to understand where we are in the story. If you've been following along in our series, you'll know that we are no longer in exile. For an entire generation, for 70 years, the people of God were off in Babylon. And while they were in Babylon, they were detached from the word of God, the scrolls, the law of Moses was remained in Jerusalem, and the people were off in Babylon. So over an entire generation of people has been detached from the word of God. Now they're back in Jerusalem. The Babylonian exile is over, and the people are united. They are of one heart and one mind. They're saying, Ezra, give us the word. Bring out the scrolls. We want to hear from God. All the people, it says in verse 1, gathered as one man into the square, before the water gate. They are united. They have realized in a generation of being detached from the word, they've realized the value of the word of God. So they're saying, Ezra, bring it out. We have to hear it. We've missed it. Please read. Verse two, so Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Now, Sometimes the biblical writer draws our attention towards something in the story that he doesn't want us to miss. In Hebrew, which the Old Testament was written in, there's no such thing as punctuation, so there's no exclamation marks. There's no underlining. There's no highlighting. So when the biblical writer really wants us to pay attention to something, he'll put it in there twice. There's a repetition. Did you notice something about the, the, um, the location, the setting that's mentioned twice? Where does this reading of the book take place? It's mentioned twice. Inside the water gate. The water gate. What's the water gate? Why does the biblical writer want us to pay attention to the water gate? Well, Jerusalem, as any ancient city, was a walled city. There were various gates that you could come in through the city. One of those gates, we've actually unearthed it in ancient Jerusalem. It was called the water gate. Why was it called the water gate? Because it had a gushing spring right on the outside of it. It's called the spring of Gahon. It still gushes water to this day. I brought a picture This is the spring of Gihon. It was pouring forth water before the Israelites got to Israel. It poured forth water during this whole biblical story, and it still pours forth water to this day. The spring of Gihon. That word Gihon in Hebrew, it means gushing or bursting forth. And in fact, this spring was the main water source for all of Jerusalem in the ancient world. It was the difference between dying of thirst out in the dry wilderness and having a thriving city, the spring of Gahon this gushing water. In fact, it was so important. It was the main water source for Jerusalem. It was so important that Hezekiah, maybe you know the story of Hezekiah's tunnel. I brought an uh, illustration of that. Hezekiah realized that if the spring was unprotected, then the enemies of Israel could just come and take the water and drink from it and block it off and thereby starve out the city of Jerusalem. So Hezekiah built a tunnel that went underneath the city of Jerusalem. That last picture I showed you is from Hezekiah's tunnel. And it went underneath the city, keeping it away from the enemies to the east. And it flowed through the city, providing all the water necessary for people living in ancient Jerusalem. There was so much water, there was so much abundance that everybody in Jerusalem got what they needed out of that flowing river. And there was even an overflow at the end of it that became called the Pool of Siloam. Maybe you recognize that place from the Gospels. This is the scene where Jesus heals the man born blind. The Pool of Siloam became known as a place of healing. So this spring, this gushing spring, the spring of Gahon was the life source for the people in Jerusalem. It was the difference between dying in the wilderness and abundant life and healing this is why the biblical writer is telling us when the word of God was brought out to a generation that hadn't heard it, it was taking place in front of the spring of Gahon. In other words, the biblical writer is telling us this book, this word from God is like that spring. It is the difference for us between dying of spiritual thirst and abundant life and the healing that comes The word of God. Did you know the Bible was that for us? And I just cited those statistics a moment ago. We're now experiencing a generation, the generation that we read about in the Bible times, they were detached from the word of God, not by their own choice, but because of the Babylonians. We're experiencing in our nation right now a generation of people who are walking away from the word of God. I fear what's going to happen in our nation. Imagine living in Jerusalem and knowing that that water source is the difference between life and death and having a generation of people rise up and say, eh, we don't really need that. I ain't that thirsty. Yeah, I don't, we don't need that spring, do we? What would happen to them? What would happen? The Bible is consistent in this image, this metaphor of it being like water, bringing abundant life to the earth. In fact, in Isaiah 55, the prophet Isaiah says this, Imagine our world if all the rain and all the precipitation stopped. Picture the vegetation. What would happen? It's a simple question. What would happen? It would, it would wither up. It would die. God is saying a generation, a nation who stops listening to, who stops hearing, who stops preaching and reading and hearing, my word will be like that vegetation when the water from the heavens dries up. We will spiritually die. And I believe that is what is happening in our nation right now. We're withering away. We're joyless. So what if there was a group of people who still believed? (laughs) This is a good question for us in this room who've gathered around the word today. Verse 4, Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood bunch of people. Good job, Laura. Uh, (laughs) Yes. Because Laura read so well, I'm going to skip (laughs) them and go down to verse five. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. Notice they built this wooden platform. They've elevated the word above the people. Have you noticed in our sanctuary that we've done the same? In a lot of churches, we elevate the pulpit like this. There's this large Bible that's always sitting there. And as we gather, notice the Bible is above our heads, those of us who are on this level. What are we saying when we gather in this room? We're saying we believe that the Word of God is authoritative, it comes down to us. We are under the authority of the Word of God. It says Ezra stood on this wooden platform built just for this purpose, and the people stood and they listened. Verse 5, verse 6, Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen. Hey, I'm doing my job here. I'm reading the word. You guys got to play your part. Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Lifting up their hands. You want to do this next part? And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. I'll spare you that, that part of it. This is the appropriate response. These are like people who have been walking through the dry and arid desert, thirsty, desperate for water, who've just come upon the spring of Gahon and they're drinking it in. It's the word of God. It is water for their souls. Verse 8, they read from the book from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Here's another repetition in the story today, four times actually. It talks about how Ezra read the book clearly so that people could understand, clearly so that people could understand. I wish I had studied Nehemiah 8 when I was in seminary, because the seminary I went to at least, the preaching department was not trying to get us to preach the word clearly so that people could understand. It was a little bit of the opposite. It was a very academic institution, we were all very proud of ourselves for sounding smart. And the sermons I had to write for my preaching classes, I was instructed to write them as an academic paper with academic citations and everything on the bottom of the page. And I had to read them word for word from the pulpit like this, not missing any words. And if anybody asked me after the service, I would I could hand them the PDF so they could go study and check my sources. That's the preaching I was trained at where the seminary that I went to. It was really designed, if you think about it, to impress the professors or to impress the PhDs in the back pew. And I began my ministry, the first church that I served, you know, dutifully trained by my seminary to preach like that. But I realized in the first couple of years of my preaching, I might have been impressing the PhDs in the back pew, but I was speaking right over the heads of everybody else between me and the back pew. And people were leaving the church services sometimes confused. They're like, hey, nice church service today, Pastor. I don't know about, you know, they were confused. And this started bothering me. And I began realizing, what am I doing? It's like people walking up to a spring of water, desperately thirsty, and someone standing there saying, well, see, it's very complicated how to get this water into your body. (laughs) No, what do you do? You just give them cups of water, let them drink. That's all I'm trying to do with my preaching now is preach it in such a way that the word is clear and understandable by all. And when I do that, when I try to preach to the person who, to make it clear to every single person in the room, the PhDs in the back pew get something out of it as well. But I really want everyone to leave having a clear understanding of what God is speaking to us today. Why am I doing this? Well, because if the statistics are true that I cited at the top of the sermon, that on any given Sunday, there's probably at least one person in this room who doesn't believe in the Bible or the God of the Bible. And I want that person, as well as all of us, to have a clear understanding of who that God is. Mm -hmm. We're living in an unbelieving world who've walked away from the spring of water, the spring of life. They've walked away from the word. Look what it says in Romans chapter 10 about the communication of the word to an unbelieving world. Romans 10, verse 14, how then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they've not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed What he's heard from us. So faith comes from hearing. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. And here's the thing I'm not the only preacher in this room, I'm not the only communicator of God's word in this room. We are all called to proclaim the good news, the word the life-giving, we're all called, I've been so impressed lately with how many of you are bringing friends to church. This room is filling up more and more. All of our ministries are swelling in number. And when I meet new people, I say, how did you learn about us? Oh, so-and-so invited me, so-and-so invited me, so-and-so brought me. You see, what we're doing here is we're simply saying to our friends and neighbors, they're out there thirsting in the dry desert, this messed up culture that we're living in. And we're just saying to our friends, there's a source, there's a water source, there's a spring, there's a gushing fountain. And it's at this church that I know. Folks, all we really do at this church is base all of our ministries on that spring, on the word of God. Our life groups are just getting people around the word, our children's ministry, our student ministry, All that we do is just bringing people to the source of water. And people are lapping it up, realizing that it's the difference between spiritual death and abundance. So what exactly is in it? What's in the word that's so vital? Well, as I said, it's what our souls need. And actually, it's what our souls want. What our souls need is correction. Correction. That's why I keep coming back to the word week after week after week. My life goes astray between Sundays, and I got to come back and get corrected by the word. We get both correction, which is what our souls need, and we get communal joy, which we're going to see in just a moment as I look at these last few verses. We get communal joy. There's a joy that springs up when we go to the word and get corrected by him. But first, the correction, verse 9. Nehemiah, who was the governor and Ezra the priest and scribe and the Levites Who taught the people said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Why were they weeping when they heard this beautiful story? They heard the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. They heard these awesome stories about Abraham and Joseph and Moses, but they also heard the law. They heard the correcting law of God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Do not covet your neighbor's house. Do not lie. Do not steal. They hadn't heard these commands in a generation, and they realized upon hearing them the ways that their lives had gone off track. And they wept. They mourned because the correction was severe. We need correction from the word of God. I go to the family cottage in Michigan every summer. And we gather with my siblings and the nieces and nephews, and we have such a nice time there. And usually after dinner one night, after we've been there a few days, one of my nieces or nephews says, let's swim across the lake tonight. It's become a tradition. It takes about a half hour to swim across. We go to our our friend's cottage on the other side, Their last name is the the Langlands, so we swim to the Langlands. And I used to do it more often when I was younger. Now I usually sit on the shore and watch. (laughs) Uh, But the nieces and nephews all go out there and swim, and my dad or my brother gets in in the motorboat and putts along next to them for safety. But I've noticed something. Now that I'm sitting on the shore watching my family swim to the Langlands' house, I remember swimming that a lot and thinking I was just swimming, just swim straight towards the Langlands dock. I see the Langlands dock. I'm swimming straight towards it. But when you sit on the shore, as I do now, I watch them. And a lot of times they start swimming like this or like this. And whoever's on the boat has to call out to them, hey, you're way off course. And they pop their head up out of the water. Oh, yeah. And they go back and they swim back towards the Langlands dock. You see, when we're off track, we need the word spoken, read, understood to get us back on track. We don't even know we're swimming off course. We don't even know our lives are so far from God until we hear the law, until we hear the word, so it corrects us. We need the correction, but that's not all. God doesn't just correct us. It's not just his judgment on us. It's also his mercy. Verse 10, And he said to them, Go your way. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved for the joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. What is God saying here? He's saying, My word sees how far off course your life has gotten, but God reserves his wrath when he sees that our lives are off course, according to the law. And he gives us instead his joy. the joy He delights in us, you see. He doesn't look at us in all of the ways we've swum off course or lived our lives off course. He doesn't unleash his wrath. He says, I still delight in you. And my joy is your strength. My joy, my delight in you is what will get you back on track. You see, the word of God gives us both correction and joy. It gives us both the law And the gospel. It gives us both judgment and mercy. Both of these come through God's word into our lives. And we need both. Correction is what our souls need. Joy is what our souls long for. Don't we want more joy? Collective, communal joy? I think our nation could use a big dose of that. Everyone's so divided and smug and angry. Mm. Mm. It's because we've walked away from the Word of God. We need His correction and His joy. There was a woman whose life was pretty far off track. She had walked away from the Word of God. And she had just broken a whole bunch of relationships with men. She had cycled through several men, actually. um, And the women in her life really didn't want to be around her either. She'd burned every bridge with them. She needed both the correction and the mercy of God in her life. She was all alone one day sitting next to a well We refer to her in the New Testament as the woman at the well. And she was thirsty. She was getting something to drink. And she encountered a man named Jesus. Jesus did something interesting. He asked her for a drink of water, and they have this interesting exchange. And he reveals to her, he says, I am the living water. If you take into your life what I'm giving, you will never thirst again. In fact, you will have a spring of water welling up in your soul that will not be taken away. And the woman said, give me this water. And he actually corrected all the things that were going on in her life too. He named all the broken relationships with the men. See, the living word, Jesus Christ, is like the written word. He brings both correction and joy. He brings both law and gospel. He brings both judgment and mercy. And the woman ran back to her village full of joy. You see, correction and joy. How could he sit there next to that well and promise her that if she had him in his life, she would have that spring of water forever? Was he saying her sin didn't matter? No. He was pointing her to what we all know, which is that Jesus became for us the spring of eternal life when he died on the cross. After he had died, some soldiers were coming towards him to break his legs in case he wasn't dead yet, and they come upon him, and in John 19, verse 34, look what it says. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. Picture it. Behold, your spring of gahon When his blood and water flowed, he was providing for us something that can never be taken away. He was taking all of the sins that all of us have committed, all the ways our lives have gone off track. And instead of pouring out his wrath on us, which we deserved, he received it onto himself in his blood and his water That's why we have eternal life, you see. He brings both correction into our lives, but also the joy of forgiveness and redemption. He gives us life abundant and life eternal. He is the difference for us between death and life. We're all walking around in a dry and thirsty land, an arid desert, and we are desperate without his flow of living water and life. And just as the woman went home rejoicing after encountering the living word, so the people did too. And this is our response to hearing this word. This is our response. Verse 12, all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. We've just heard from the profound word of God. We've met him in his written word, and we've met him in his living word. So our job now is to go and rejoice and to spread the word. So today, go eat fatty foods, (laughs) drink sweet wine, eat nachos and pizza (laughs) and beer. Yeah, watch the game too, I suppose. But rejoice that the Lord has met us in his written and in his living word. And all the people said, amen, and amen. Thank you, Jesus.
1: To learn more about the mission and vision of Stanwich Church and how you can get involved, please visit stanwichchurch.org.